Hey Super Friends, my name is Neil and welcome to this episode 70 of the Get Your Comic Con podcast. Yes, today we are celebrating 70 episodes with something very, very special. But first, the usual intro. We're here fortnightly-ish to bring you a slice of film, TV and pop culture goodness from our studio direct to your speakers. For the 69th time, because I gave him a week off, I am joined, of course, by my very own boy Wonder Martin. Say hello, Martin. Hello, Martin. And how is Boy Wonder today? Acceptable. Moving swiftly on. As I said, this is episode 70, and we have got something incredibly special in store for you today. We are celebrating all things The Batman. And by that, I mean Matt Reeves' The Batman, which is in UK cinemas from March the 4th, 2022, from Warner Brothers Pictures. We have had... An absolutely bat-tastic last week. I couldn't tell you all of this the last time we podcasted because a lot of it was up in the air until mere kind of hours before it actually happened. But since the last time we spoke to you, I have hung out with the Batmobile. I have hung out with Batman and Catwoman's costumes. I've seen the film twice, I might add. Um, And (laughs) we have interviewed both... Andy Serkis, who plays Alfred Pennyworth, and the film's producer, Dylan Clark, both of whom will be joining us during this episode. Now, just a little heads up for those who follow us and follow me on social media. I was also supposed to interview Matt Reeves. Uh, Unfortunately, uh, the day that I was due to interview him, which was the last day the cast were in London, they did have to shuffle the schedule, and unfortunately, his interviews for that day were cancelled. But... You know, as sad as that is, let's not take it to heart. I still did all those other awesome things that I just talked about. And I also got to watch a uh, press conference with Robert Pattinson, Zoe Kravitz, uh, Jeffrey Wright and Paul Danner, which was very, very cool. I can only bring you a transcript of that. I can't bring you any audio. Whereas, as I said, we will be joined today by both Andy Serkis and Dylan Clark as we discuss The Batman. Before we get down to business, uh, the embargo for the film has now lifted, so if you want to check out my written review, it's up now on our website, which is www.getyourcomicon.co.uk. I've also got a video review, which you can check out over on our YouTube channel, which is also where you can see the video versions of the interviews with both Andy and Dylan, which are part of this podcast. So everything kind of kicks off for this uh, about... A month ago, when I was approached by Warner Brothers and asked if I would like to pitch for interviews for the cast and some of the creatives on The Batman, uh, I wasn't sadly offered time with Robert or Zoe, so there was never a chance that you were going to catch them on the podcast, but you know, something to work towards in the future. There will be sequels. And from there, it has been a massive journey. I got to go to Warner Brothers head office, where I've not been for two years, in order to watch the film. I had to actually sign to say that I wouldn't tell any of you that I had seen it. So I actually saw it on the 17th of February, so that was 10 days ago as we were recording this podcast. So I've been holding on to this film for a while. And I also have to remember the fact that none of you have even seen this yet, because again, as I'm recording this, the film is not out for another five days. So... uh, I will say now there are no spoilers in here. Likewise, there are no spoilers in my written review or the video review. And if you checked out our live stream upon Instagram, which I've I've kind of kept posted there for you guys, there are no spoilers in there either. So we are not spoiling the content of the film. We are purely talking about uh, how awesome it is. 
now that we can. Uh, but I'll tell you what, before Boy Wonder and I maybe dive in and start giving you our review of the film, why don't you have a listen to what happened when I sat down with producer Dylan Clark, who's worked with Matt Reeves on the, the Apes movies, uh, to get his thoughts on building the practical and grounded world that surrounds Robert Pattinson's Batman. So here is my interview. Hi, Neil. Hi, Dylan. How are you doing? I'm well, thanks. How are you? Yeah, I'm very well. I've literally just come out from spending an hour with your Batmobile, which is absolutely incredible. Oh, It was such a sight to behold in person. That's so great. I'm glad you got to witness that in person. It got me thinking, I mean, how important was it to you that this was a very practical world for this version of Batman? Really important to us. We really wanted to ground this thing in something that felt real. Um, you know, Matt's job as a filmmaker is to move you emotionally. And we feel like grounding these characters is the is the first step. This year two Batman, you know, he could he didn't he couldn't rely on other people to build his suit or this car. So it needed to feel like something that, you know, Bruce Robert could build in in his in his back cave. And that seems to carry over into your version of Gotham as well. You know, it's a very it's a very practical city as well. And I mean, it's a city that we've seen on camera many times in the past before, both you know, kind of small screen and big screen. Was what was the process like in kind of trying to create a new Gotham, something very fresh for us to see as an audience? Again, we just wanted to ground it and make it feel like a real city. You know, you can't just go and shoot one place because obviously Gotham doesn't exist. So you have to find ways to take Gothic architecture that hasn't been done to death in movies, and then seamlessly transition them with the visual effects team to create this wholly new you know, city. Um, Gotham is of course a mirror to our cities in the United States. It's a character in our movie. So it was something, you know, we brought James Chinlin on. It was, you know, it was something that was very important to us to get different and, and right. And James, who is our production designer from the Apes movies came on while Matt was writing to figure out how to, you know, build this place uniquely. And am I right in thinking you used the, the, kind of the new video wall technology for some scenes as well? What was it like working with new technologies for some of this as well to help bring it to life? Well, we have the brilliant uh, you know, cinematographer, Greg Frazier, um, who, who created the LEDs for The Mandalorian. So we, ha we have a big brain DP who came onto our set that had worked with our director, um, you know, who's just been doing amazing work. He's been nominated for Dune. Um, and so it was, it, was, it was just another tool to have that we could you know, used to create a very photo real city. And of course, you've got Michael Giacchino, Giacchino as well uh, on the score, which is absolutely fantastic. I cannot wait for people to hear it. What was it yeah. like working with him as well to create this new fresh soundscape for Batman as well? Well, Matt and Michael go way, way back and he did two of our, our Apes movies. Um, he's, you know, he's just, he's incredible. Um, and somebody like James, we bring on early into the process. So he, you know, was giving Matt music during, you know, while Matt was writing. So that, you know, it was just that thing that his, his music, the Batman theme that he wrote was, you know, seeping into the words that Matt was writing. Um, it's just a great partnership. Those two together are amazing. And that theme is absolutely striking as well. Um, and, you know, you mentioned just there that he kind of, he brought that in while Matt was writing. And I, am I right in thinking he didn't amend any of that either? It kind of stayed almost as is from the writing process. The Batman theme was the Batman theme from the, he, that M Michael played on the piano himself. And just a kind of fun question, just to round out, were you ever tempted to try the cowl on on set at any point, just to have your Batman moment? No. No? Never. 
it's it's one of those things that you're in awe of it and it was so it was roberts um and as as his producing partner there was no way i was going to take on and put on his cowl um just no way <laughs> i'm not sure i could be as restrained as you um you, thank you, you very much you got it <laughs> <laughs> thanks very much for your time today it was an absolute pleasure thank you best of luck with the movie thank you very much A massive thank you to Warner Brothers for setting up that interview for me. It was very cool, but also very, very stressful. <laughs> you might have heard a little bit of noise in the background because I was running from an event where I was hanging out with the Batmobile and the costumes, uh, and literally I had to do that interview in between the event and that evening's screening of the film. So that was why I did the interview in the corner of a Cafe Nero whilst drinking a hot chocolate from a Batman cup, I might add. So let's just... Uh, let's just do this thing and and review this film uh, i will reiterate no spoilers warner brothers has been very specific that they do not want us to spoil any specific plot points and kind of major storylines until two weeks after the film so this is just going to be a kind of general thoughts on the film so general thoughts on the film boy wonder i i liked it okay it, it's a it was a positive reaction from you yes your favorite batman movie now not my favorite but it's up there so i think i want to start by asking how you would gauge it against the nolan trilogy because that's what everyone is going to be doing right now everyone is going to want to ask is it better than the dark knight yes (laughs) we didn't even have to think about it i would agree i also say it's better than the dark knight i've talked about this at length in quite a few podcasts i've been on recently but in case you haven't heard my thoughts, I feel like The Dark Knight is a Chris Nolan movie that has Batman in it. I don't f- see it as or feel that it is a Batman movie. And I think you kind of agree with me on that point, don't you? Yes. So for me, and clearly for Boy Wonder as well, this this film surpasses it. Does it surpass Keaton for you? Mm, no. It doesn't surpass Keaton for me either. But I would say that this is a more comic accurate Batman than Keaton's, however. No. Oh. So yeah. I wouldn't say that Robert Pattinson is now my Batman, but he is he is definitely the best comic book Batman on film. Or the Batman. He is the Batman. Yes, definitely. So what did you think? I mean, you. I, I would normally ask you at this point how you were feeling about it before we went into it, but I guess that's maybe not necessary because it's a Batman film and that tends to be the crux of a lot of what we talk about here. So I think it's safe to say that there was excitement for it beforehand yeah did it live up to what you were maybe thinking or hoping it was going to be i didn't really think or hope it would be anything i just hoped it wasn't going to be rubbish so it surpassed your expectations yeah (laughs) that's good so it wasn't rubbish then clearly no it's very good okay Uh, i would agree i have given it five stars in my review which as i've said is available now on the website and also on our youtube channel i thought this was a great year two story for batman do you also appreciate the fact that it kind of sidestepped reliving the death of the waynes and suiting up for the first time and all that stuff well we've done all that before haven't we we know how that all happens Mm, yeah but it's still i feel like the film still acknowledged it and it was still important it was you know it still had impacted on who robert pattinson's batman was that his parents had been brutally murdered it just wasn't something that we had to watch again no, it was there, but it wasn't in your face. Hmm. What do you think of the story overall? 
I thought it was very good. I thought it was very concise. Yeah. It was very long, but it didn't feel long. I was literally about to ask you that with you saying concise. I was going to say, did you feel like you could kind of sense the three-hour runtime? No, I mean, I felt like I was watching The Long Halloween, which is a long comic. Yeah. And not, I suppose, not a lot happens in the way that there's not a supervillain. There's not, yeah. you know, lots of, there's not a big CGI monster. It is a mob noir crime thriller. And that is exactly what the film is. Yeah. And I've I've explained this... Well, I say explain is probably a terrible word to use. That's the way I've described it to a couple of people who were at the screening who said they felt it was very long and specifically felt that the second act was very long. Um, I know that there is a a bit of a consensus amongst some critics that they feel like Riddler disappears a bit in the second act and then comes back. Uh, But I feel like that's very important to a noir story. And there's a lot going on in the background that doesn't require him to, you know, to be there actively antagonizing but still pulling the strings and that i feel like it is almost an entire arc of detective comics in a film and i'm very specific in saying it's not an arc of batman it's like an arc of detective comics because that's the focus i also think it's quite like watching someone playing the arkham games you know go to a crime scene analyze the crime scene put together the evidence you know move on to the next step did you appreciate the detective side I did. It was nice. There was a different angle to see. I mean, it was very different to Justice League yeah. and that other type of Batman that we may have seen recently. Yeah. Where he's not all... Because, I mean, he's year two Batman. He's not the Batman that we're used to seeing him to be. He is a an early Batman still finding his feet and who he is and the hero that he wants to be. Mm. The hero that Gotham needs him to be. Yeah. yeah it, it goes back to it again. I mean... Michael Keaton's Batman was still fresh in his career, but that wasn't really an important point that he was fresh. I mean, you know, he was a he was a myth in Gotham, but we didn't linger on the fact that he was new, and that didn't impact on what he was doing. And Christopher Nolan rattled from origin to up and running to the end of. So we've never really lingered on any point in his career, which I felt this film did and did really well. And I think the point of this film wasn't just... You know, it wasn't to give him an origin. It wasn't to introduce a new Batman. It was simply, it just simply stated everything as fact, as is. So the focus wasn't on that. It was on the mystery and of the Riddler and what the Riddler was doing. You're nodding. It's difficult to nod in a podcast. No, it's not. I can do it now, see? It's not a nodcast. It's a podcast. <laughs> uh, what did you think of the Riddler while we're on that topic? Roberto, if I shake the mic, does it make a nodding sound? No, it's just annoying. Okay. Um, what did you think of this version of Riddler? I thought it was very scary. Mm, yeah, very, I've said terrifying quite a lot today in various different mediums. You never really appreciate how much the Riddler is almost like the Joker in the same way. They've got that weird sort of psychotic-ism. Yeah. But the, the affect is slightly different, whereas the Joker is a bit more sort of wacky and clowny. Mm. Whereas the Riddler is a bit more cold and calculated where the joker is the same but they're just the way they present themselves is very different, very different. but yeah I, well, think about the, the 60s tv show between sort of caesar romero and frank gorshin they there isn't a huge difference between them really even their their kind of theme tunes in the show are fairly similar as well and when you look at uh jim carrey's riddler in batman forever there's that scene where he's watching the chaos unfold at the at the circus on TV from home and he laughs 
and I said this somewhere the other day, he laughs at the screen while he's watching it, and I almost feel like they took sort of Jack Napier, Jack Nicholson, keep doing that, I feel like they almost take Jack Nicholson's laugh from 89 and just ADR the audio over Jim Carrey, because he laughs in a way that feels so much like the Joker that it confuses the two characters. But I think you're right, I think they are very, very similar. It's the methodology that's different. Do you feel like you could still sense a comic book version of the Riddler in what Matt Reeves has done with him? Because I feel like there'll be some people who will just take it at face value as a kind of riff on the Zodiac Killer and take the inspiration from Jigsaw, because I feel like you can compare him to Jigsaw in some ways, and suggest that Reeves has lost the uh, the comic book sense of who the character is. But I don't agree with that personally. But what do you think about that? No, I mean, you still get a sense of who he is. I mean, you don't get much of his background or no. his origins or his motivations, but he's still Ridley. And I still, I still think that there's some playfulness to him as well. I, I, it's weird to say that because what he's doing is so horrific and terrifying. But at the same time, I still think there's a slightly playful nature to him. Mm. Outside of the like the fact that he leaves riddles as clues, I still think there is a little bit of whimsy in there somehow. Reeves has managed to work it in, so it's not just kind of hitting you hard and heavy constantly throughout the film. No, there is a little elements of whimsy. <laughs> Whimsical nature. What do you think? Uh, let's stick with casting for a minute then. Um, how do you feel about Jeffrey Wright's Jim Gordon? Oh, that was a good Gordon. They had a good relationship on screen. I feel like I could sense and feel without having seen their history that there was a history there mm. and I I would be excited to explore that history but I don't feel it's necessary that would be an added bonus if I ever got to if that makes sense yeah probably I like the fact that they were almost like a crime not crime fighting but crime solving duo like a detective and his partner mm. yeah who's I, into bondage he's in leather and <laughs> stuff where were you taking this I think they work really well together. I thought they had good chemistry and I'd wished I'd had a chance to interview Jeffrey Wright because I wanted to ask him how much him and Rob had worked to try and build a relationship, but obviously I didn't get a chance to talk to him. So I don't know if they did or not. It wasn't a question that I saw anyone ask, but I would be really interested to know if they did you know, spend any time together or talk at length about how they felt their characters would be together to try and nail the relationship. But I felt like... For the period of time in Batman's career where this film is set, I thought it was pitch perfect. It's a different film. Hmm. <laughs> pitch perfect is a different film, yes. Sorry, I had to realise what you meant. Interesting, I thought that they didn't really spend any time on his backstory. He never mentioned having a wife or children or anything like that. No, it's not really about him in this film, though, is it? No, I just... There was so much world building that went on in general, but not in a forced way, that I wondered whether it would come up in conversation. Um... But it didn't, so that was that was kind of a surprise. I'd be interested to know if we'd learn any more about him in the future. But we, we, we got enough here to know what's going on. I mean, there's the GCPD series that's going to come to HBO Max at some point, which I'm just going to presume will explore kind of the year one story, but the year one story from Gordon's perspective rather than anyone else's. What about Penguin? What about him? Did you, did you like this version of Penguin? Yeah, it's a very, it's an interesting penguin because you think of penguin, you think of Danny DeVito. Danny DeVito. 
and you think of him at a certain point in his life where actually in this he's a year two penguin really he's not the penguin of the comics that we expect he's not there yet yeah but he's on the way yeah there's a particular scene and i'm not going to spoil it but uh there was a there was a penguin waddle which i thought was just a, a funny way of kind of saying you know we totally get that there are aspects of this character that we're not touching upon here, but we can we can joke around them, which I thought was quite funny. I really did feel like he disappeared into that costume, though. It didn't feel like it was his voice. It didn't feel like it was his face, his mannerisms, anything. It didn't feel like Colin Farrell whatsoever, did it? He did a very good job. Yeah, very, very good job. Kind of hope that there's some sort of, like, watch him in the makeup chair bonus feature when it comes out on home video so that we can, can kind of see the transformation because it's... I, I get the funny feeling that he went into the makeup trailer as Colin Farrell and came out as Penguin, not Colin Farrell in makeup. Like, I feel like he transformed in putting it on. I feel kind of probably the same about Robert Pattinson putting the Batman suit on because even, you know, in in that, I didn't look at the film and think it's Robert Pattinson in his bat suit. It was just Batman to me. Even when he was Bruce Wayne, I didn't really feel like it was Robert Pattinson at any point. I don't know if you felt the same about that. No. He was just Batman. So you're going to disagree with me. Okay, what about, uh, I realise we've not touched on Zoe Kravitz as Selina Kyle, who is very much, I feel like, a year one version of Catwoman. I feel like we came into her story in her kind of year one origin rather than coming to her in a year, you know, I mean, it's not like Batman exists and suddenly all of the Bat history, you know, all the Bat characters exist and everyone starts on the same day. So I, I feel like it's quite nice that, you know, there isn't the whole kind of gallery of villains there from day one. So it was interesting to see her. But what were your thoughts on her Catwoman? I thought she did a very good job. She's a very good cat woman. Good chemistry between her and Rob Pattinson? I think so. Would be excited to see more of her in the future? As long as it was necessary. Yeah, that's the thing I'm interested in, because obviously that's a question that's being asked a lot of the cast at the moment is, you know, will we see more? And I feel like we will see more of the Penguin, not just because he's got an HBO Max show, but I feel like there's still a story for him to tell that would involve Batman. And I do feel like there is more story to tell between Selina and Bruce, but given where she is at the end of the film, I'm I'm not really sure how you would bring her back for a second one. So I would be interested to see how they would do that because they, they have very much spoken in interviews about wanting to build her story across what might be a trilogy, whatever. And I, I'm, I'm not entirely sure how that would happen right now. Mm, there would be a reason for her to come back. Yeah. But then having said that, where it feels like you might have to contrive a way to, for you know, for her to come back. I feel like her introduction and her involvement in this story is incredibly natural, and it doesn't feel like she's shoehorned in there whatsoever for the sake of like a female lead or anything. It's it's perfectly kind of mixed in with the story, isn't it? Mm, I would agree. Okay, then I'm trying to think what else I can ask you about on this uh, this round trip without spoilers. Ooh, soundtrack! What do you think of Michael Giacchino's soundtrack? A masterpiece, as always. One of your favourites from Chikino? I think so. What else has he done? Rogue One, a Star Wars story. Oh, I like that, yeah. Uh, all three Tom Holland Spider-Mans. Oh, yeah, they're all right, yeah. <laughs> the uh, the three J.J. Abrams era Star Trek movies. Oh, yeah, just like them as well, yeah. Yeah, yeah, all right. Um, it goes back to the days of Lost, Alias, the Did theme tune to Fringe. as well? I mean, he's J- he's he came up in the world of J.J. Abrams. Um, I'm trying to think which Pixar's he did. Was he he was up as well? Was he not? Was he? Um, yeah, and The Incredibles. I think might be a Chikino as well. Oh God! Yeah, he's a heavy hitter. That's now kind of on the level of well, actually. So, fun fact: 
there are three composers who have composed for Batman and Spider-Man. Uh, they are Danny Elfman, Hans Zimmer, and Michael Giacchino. All three of them have done a Star Wars. Star Wars. They've not all three done Star Wars. Uh, they've all three done a Spider-Man and a Batman. Well. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting fact for you there. Visual effects. I feel I'm... So there's a, there's a few kind of varying rumours on the budget for this film. Some say it's 100 million. Some say it's 180 million, which everyone says, oh, God, that's cheap. Uh, 100 million definitely would be cheap. But do you agree with me when I say it's a very practical film with very little CGI? Yes, I would. I felt like what CGI was in there was just really well done and used kind of, I guess in a similar way to how Chris Nolan used it because he's not a massive fan of CGI and a big fan of the practical stuff, but it was used to enhance rather than to create, I think is probably the best way to say it. Yeah. There is one moment for me, uh, which I think you can glimpse in one of the trailers because I saw a gif of it on Twitter, but there's a moment where Batman um, falls into a lake of water and I felt like for a second the falling Batman looked a little bit CGI but that was like the only time and that was I think just because there was a very very bright light on him so it may have just wiped out some of the texture Uh, so I think in a rewatch I'd probably take that back but that was the only moment that I thought I think I can see some CGI here Mm. otherwise I was completely blown away oh Batmobile what do you think of the new Batmobile I mean, it's all right. It's a car, isn't it? So this was a conversation which I, I knew we would have at some point because I didn't think you would be overly keen on it based on the look of it because it doesn't look very Bat-like. It, so it's it's based on an American muscle car. So it's just a, a big kind of beefy beast of a car. It's not got the huge kind of Bat spoiler or anything on it or a big Bat on the front. It's it's more of a kind of beastly imposing car. But then that's the whole point of them at the minute. It doesn't want to be seen... This is not spoilers for the film, but these are what I'm about to say is kind of a spoiler for the Before the Batman novel, which is uh, available now, but not very easy to get hold of, and based supposedly in the canon of the film. He Apparently the young Bruce was somewhat of a drag racer, so it's a car that he kind of built in his teenage days and had been working on and building up, and he'd just kind of been working on this this muscle car for years and years in, in the cave underneath Wayne Tower, and, and that that's what then became the Batmobile. So there's supposedly a history there in the canon in terms of what's in the book. It's just not in the film itself. But did your opinion of it change from having just seen pictures of it or the kind of glimpse in the trailer to seeing that car chase sequence play out in full? Mm, A little bit. I mean, it felt more of a Batmobile seeing it live. Yeah. Well, one film. I saw it live. Well, I didn't. (laughs) Um... But it's still not. I wouldn't. I wouldn't rush out and buy the Lego of it. Okay. I forgot a very important character. I forgot about Alfred. How could I forget about Alfred? Bloody hell! Bloody hell! Uh, well, so, what do you think of Andy Serkis as Alfred? Bloody hell! He was good, wasn't he? He was really good, wasn't he? And I was like, I, I kind of said to you before we saw the film, I was, um, kind of presuming that he wasn't going to be a huge presence in it because Andy Serkis was off directing Venom at the same time. So he was kind of dipping out of production on Venom to to film his scenes for the Batman. So I didn't think he was going to be in it all that much. And so I completely underestimated that he might have a small but incredibly impacting appearance. Mm. Really, really like this interpretation because he is quite different. I suppose he's a younger Alfred, but then it's a younger Batman. Yep. But then, in theory, I think he must be 
probably in a similar kind of pitch, maybe not in looks, but characterization wise in aged Jeffrey Irons version in um, Batman versus Superman in Justice League. Oh, yeah. I was I was imagining he would be a bit older. But I think Jeffrey Irons is definitely older than Andy Serkis, but I, I feel like they were pitched at a similar sort of level in terms of some of the background. But I feel like Jeffrey Irons had a lot less of the paternal nature that you get from Serkis's version. I feel like Serkis has the paternal nature of Michael Goff from the Keaton movies with kind of the practicalities of sort of the Gotham version who'd been in the army and the Jeffrey Irons version that had clearly a similar background. Yeah, it's a good way to put it, actually. Harsh, wily, but caring. Yeah, and I feel like their relationship is very different. So how did you how did you take that really strained, cold, kind of disconnected version of their relationship? Well, I suppose it's just kind of it's it's that young Batman, isn't it? He's done his trials. He's gone off, a, a presume, around the world and learned his trade. He's come back with his sole mission in life to you know vengeance. Um. And that's his only purpose. Whereas Alfred is probably the the anchor trying to bring him back into the world and remember that Batman's the mask and Bruce Wayne's the person, not the other way around. Yeah, it's exactly how I put it. This this is this is Bruce. Oh. Well, it's exactly how you put it, did you? No, no, it is exactly how I put it. This is this this is where he's he has he has no care about being Bruce Wayne. Bruce Wayne is nothing to him. The Wayne legacy is nothing to him. It's all about the mission. And I think Alfred is, yeah, the anchor that pulls him back into the light in that respect and makes him remember that actually he kind of, for all intents and purposes, has to have a life because he has to keep up appearances. He can't just live in a cave. So I think that works really well. And now is a good time to segue into the fact that I also sat down with Andy Serkis to talk about his role as Alfred. So why not have a listen to my interview? Hi, Neil. Hi, Andy. How are you doing today? Good, you? Yeah, I am very well, thank you. Thanks for taking the time to talk to me. Pleasure. So the Batman presents us with a really unique opportunity to see these characters from kind of a, a new angle. Was that something that attracted you to the role of Alfred when you first heard about the project? Oh, 100%. I mean, just knowing Matt and, and uh, having worked with him on, on the Apes movies and knowing that his, his you know, if he was going to tell a Batman story, it was going to, one, be a great, a, a great journey and a great thriller. Yeah. And two, that that every single character would be invested with with you know Matt's a very emotional film director and, and always seeks out the kind of the, the heart of a story and the emotional kind of point of view of a story. And so it's so so when we started to talk about Alfred, you know, and and he you know he explained that he'd like me to play it. Um, that that was that was what attracted me to it because I knew I'd be in amazingly safe hands and and that he would take risks with with. Uh, you know, with a, with a pairing of characters that people think that they yeah. know and hopefully that we could bring something new to. Well, absolutely. I mean, there's such a kind of a chasm between Bruce and Alfred where we first kind of meet them in this film. Um, how did you approach kind of this new angle and how did you kind of take Matt's ideas and, and put those into your performance? Well, we obviously there was a, a great deal of discussion about it, but I mean, and when I joined the project, when I was actually you know, started filming. Rob had been in the, you know, in the zone with 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 Bruce and and Batman, um, but but very very quickly we sort of 
understood that what we were looking for was a was 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 a kind of a rejection of Alfred and everything that he stood for yeah. and the, the Wayne legacy and 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 something that that Alfred is you know holds dear and and is and important. So it's about a clash of belief systems, really, in a way. You know, Bruce is 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 throwing everything out of the window and 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 Alfred can see this his ward you know self destruct in a way and 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 mm -hmm. self you know physically and psychologically sort of go through tr trauma to find something and and he is not a man who is capable of of trading in emotions in a way he's not he he's you know he's a soldier he's he's worked he's worked for 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 you know secret services and 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 as a bodyguard and deals with 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 hard and fast rules and precision and you know he doesn't he, he can't he knows ultimately there's a, like a kind of an impotence that that he knows he can't fill a void of being the father yeah that, yeah uh you know bruce really needs and that's and that is the tragedy of their of, of him and, and how he sees himself but um but again uh, pushing against that is this kind of almost venom that's coming from uh um yeah from, from bruce uh, yeah so, so it is quite a, a different take and it all kind of leads to this uh, this incredible moment this incredible scene where the two of them have almost like an emotional turning point i think both for the characters individually but also their relationship as well um and obviously that comes quite late in the film i was wondering if that was something that you rehearsed or you kind of how did you get into the zone for that particular scene because it was it was quite a sight to behold and i mean it really choked me up watching it oh well uh well that's great um the interestingly that scene was was scheduled and then um i believe that's when we had a big break actually because of covid yeah. so so it, it it gave us in a sense I, I was prepared you know we were all gearing up for that scene and then and, and then there was that big break and then we came back and did it and um it it, it was it was very interesting because because no matter how much you kind of see the scene in your mind's eye until you're actually in the moment and doing it you don't know where it's going to go and that's the joy of these kinds of you know like you say these these big these big scenes where we're actually a bit the, the, it's a kind of crux scene in terms of the turning yeah. point for the story and also for the for the story of these two characters so so it was it, i think we found it was very much sort of found in the moment but but having had the preparation i suppose it is it's just such a beautiful moment well thank you very much thanks for taking the time to talk to me today it's been an absolute pleasure best of luck with the movie cheers thanks bye-bye thank Bye-bye. Thanks again to Warner Brothers for setting that up. It was uh, my first time doing a big theatrical interview, and that he was my first one, and it's only the second time I've ever interviewed anybody on video before as well, so that was quite daunting, but it was also very good fun, and he was absolutely lovely to talk to, so that made it you know, much, much easier to do my job. So I think we probably need to wrap things up, though, because otherwise we're going to veer off into spoiler territory, and a Warner Brothers ninja will come down and take us out. So... Final thoughts on the Batman or anything else you want to say about it? Just go and see it. I have a wee first. Yeah, this isn't the kind of film that you can actually get up at any point during the runtime during your first viewing. Second viewing onwards, you, you know, you'll know when you feel like you can take a break because there's something you're less interested in seeing. The first time, you're not going to want to move for the full two hours and 56 or 57 or whatever it is. So you would recommend this film? Yes. You would recommend it wholeheartedly? Yes. You would recommend it immensely? Yes. Very good. I've given this film five stars out of five in my review over on the website where I said that Matt Reeves has crafted the definitive live-action Batman. 
I've not even bothered to ask you if there was anything that you didn't like, because I would presume the answer was no. Mm, no. Is that yes, no, there isn't, or no, actually, there is something I didn't like? Yes. I'm going to leave it there. Thank you for tuning in to this special Batman edition of the podcast. Episode 70. Can you believe it? Episode 70 of the podcast. We'll be back in a couple of weeks' time. And by that point, Star Trek Picard will have premiered on Prime Video. And the embargo for that one will have lifted. And we'll be able to tell you what we thought of the first three episodes, which we have had chance to watch. I don't know what... Oh, we're also watching a Star Trek documentary series at the moment, which is celebrating 55 years of the franchise. So maybe we'll have a chat about that one as well. We will have to wait and see what happens in two weeks' time. We may have all been nicked by then anyway. So until then, uh, stay safe, stay well. Thank you for listening. And bye. bye!